0: this week on missions today
1: one of the things we're looking at actually we're just sending out a special report about northern mozambique again a country most of us wouldn't say as is a, is a persecutor of christians but there is an, an isis affiliate group in the northern part of mozambique literally going village to village they are looking for christians they're especially looking for pastors and so more than 70 countries where Christians are persecuted right now.
0: More than 70 countries where we know that followers of Christ are being persecuted. Most of these cases are untold stories of faithfulness and obedience. Hi, I'm Colin Lambert, and this is Missions Today from Resource Global. You know, few of us in our lifetimes will face persecution for our faith. But around the world, Christians are facing loss, torture, and even death. Our guest today, Todd Nettleton, is the Chief of Media Relations at VOM and host of Voice of the Martyrs Radio. And for the last two decades, he's dedicated his life and work to telling these stories to anyone who has ears to hear. As Todd will tell you, we all have a lot to learn from those who face persecution because of their belief in Christ. During this Passion Week, what better time to hear about those who give their all to the Savior? As you listen, be thinking about what you can do to support the persecuted church and what you would do if that persecution ever came to you. Todd, welcome to Missions Today. Thank you so much. It's good to be with you. I want to start back in the early days because, you know, as I was thinking about talking to you today, one of the things I was thinking about is as a kid, my thoughts are you probably were not planning to go into a ministry job that dealt with Martyrs
1: and the persecuted church, or were you? <laughs> um, certainly, I wasn't planning to. I was planning to play first base for the Los Angeles Dodgers. That was really my life plan. Uh, it didn't quite work out the way I had intended. Uh, but when I was 12, our family packed up and moved to Papua New Guinea. My parents served as missionaries there for four years. Uh, and so many seeds were planted in my life at, during that period of time that are now a part of what I do at Voice of the Martyrs, from uh, you know, getting on an airplane and flying halfway around the world, uh, learning how to say hello in different languages, uh, learning how to ask where the bathroom is, uh, but also just a, a love for God's people around the world, God's people who look different from me. They speak a different language from me. Maybe they worship very differently from how my church worships, but they are God's people. They are my brothers and sisters. And so that love for them, I I think really started when we moved to Papua New Guinea and we traveled and and met people from all over the world. And that is such a key part of what I do today at Voice of the Martyrs that I, I really see that as sort of the beginning of God's plan for me to come to work at VOM. I, I want to talk more.
0: We got a lot to talk about related to VOM, but before we move on from your experience as a MK in in Papua New Guinea, uh, tell us just a moment. What was it like as a twelve-year-old? I mean, that's a; those are some important years in a kid's life. Some, you know, developmental years. What was that like? Moving at twelve uh, to this foreign culture and and beginning to try to engage. To be very honest,
1: it was kind of brutal. <laughs> I mean, at the time, uh, our family at the time was four. My brother was actually my youngest brother was born in Papua New Guinea, so there were four of us. And we sat down and kind of had a family conference and it was three to one. I voted to stay in America and the other three said, yeah, let's go, let's go to Papua New Guinea. And so I was just on the cusp of junior high at my school. Junior high was where you started to be able to participate in sports, which was something I was very excited about and looking forward to. And so it was just like, wait, we can't leave now. (laughs) This is, you know, I'm just on the, on the doorstep of all these things I've been looking forward to. Um, and, and so the adjustment was very hard. Uh, honestly, the adjustment coming back four years later was very hard. Uh, but again, those seeds, God God was planting seeds. And so sometimes I think God is planting seeds in our lives, and it's not necessarily fun at that time. And, and certainly when we moved to Papua New Guinea, now I adjusted. By the time we left, I, I was kind of sad to leave. I had made friends. I had settled in. I felt comfortable. Um, so. I did adjust, but it wasn't easy. What, what do you think was one of the biggest takeaways for you from your time there? You know, one of the biggest impacts of that time in Papua New Guinea is, is we didn't have a television for four years. They, they don't have television, or at least they didn't at that time. Uh, and so I learned to read for pleasure. Like, like that's what I did for fun is I would read a good book and you know, so here I am today. I I, I write. <laughs> Where does that come from? Well, it comes from reading. And you know, I don't I don't know if I would have had that same passion for writing and reading if I'd lived in America during those four years. If I'd had a television during those four years. So that's just a really simple thing, but it it really was a kind of change the direction for me. Before we move on from uh, those early
0: days, uh, when did you come to know Christ? Was that before you left for the mission field or part of that experience?
1: You know, I came to know Christ as a child. and my, my dad was a pastor, and so we were always in church. We always were in, you know, we had family devotion time. And so even, you know, four, five, six years old, I prayed to ask Jesus into my heart. Uh, I think the taking ownership of it kind of happened as i went away to college and it it had to be my idea it couldn't it couldn't be my mom and dad's idea cuz they weren't there and, and so that's when i think i i feel like i took ownership of my own faith and it was my decision and it was my plan and it was my time with the lord and I came to Christ as a child, but but where I took ownership for me was, you know, 18, 19 years old, moving away to college and being on my own for the first time.
0: So how did you end up moving uh, from that situation, MK, going to college? How did you wind your way to Voice of the Martyrs?
1: Well, I, I started out with the goal of being a sports writer. If I wasn't going to play first base for the Los Angeles Dodgers, I was going to be in the press box and write about the Los Angeles Dodgers, and, and that would be a great you know a great career great fun i would go to all these cool events and i i did that in the early days my wife would go along with me she would keep stats i would write the story we just had kind of a team and so if there was a game on friday night and saturday night that was fine we would just go together and and do that when our oldest son was born uh, she didn't want to go to games on friday night anymore and it pretty quickly i was like wow I'm not sure I want to do this the rest of my life. I'm not sure I want to work every weekend, all the rest of my life. And so I felt unsettled. I came to a place of, I want to do something different. I don't feel like this is what I'm supposed to do the rest of my life. And we were in a Bible study, a young couple's Bible study at the time. And I shared one Wednesday night, I feel like I'm done with what I'm doing. I want a new door to open. Pray with us. Pray that something will open up. And within 48 hours of that Bible study, I had two job offers. It was the most amazing thing. I was like, man, I should have asked these people to pray months ago. I wouldn't have had to be in the desert for so long. But one of those was at Voice of the Martyrs. And the lady that hired me here is married to my college roommate, and she was tasked with building a communications department. She was looking for somebody to help tell stories of persecuted Christians. And I said, man, I, I love telling stories Uh, and I love Christians from around the world. I I would love that job, and so I came to work, and we are now, actually this month, 24 years ago uh, from my first day at Voice of the Martyrs, and uh, God has really blessed me with the privilege of being here and and serving His people around the world. Well, for those who aren't familiar with Voice of the Martyrs, uh, tell us about the organization, maybe a little history. Voice of the Martyrs was founded by persecuted Christians. Uh, I think that's one of the really important things for people to understand. Uh, Our founder, Pastor Richard Wurmbrand, spent 14 years in prison in communist Romania. Uh, His wife, Sabina, spent three years in prison, including about 18 months in a labor camp, helping to build the Danube Canal, When they were released from prison, they were actually ransomed out of Romania. At that time, the government there needed money. They needed cash, and so they were selling political prisoners. Uh, Richard Wormbrand, the the going rate at the time was about $1,500. The price for Richard was $10,000. So he was considered a a high-value prisoner, a high-value person. And uh, he was ransomed out of the country, came to the West, Before he left, the secret police took him aside, and they said, hey, you're going to the West. You can preach all you want. You can talk about God all you want. You can preach out of the Bible all you want, but don't talk about what we did to you. Don't talk about the suffering. And uh, Richard came to the West and did exactly what they told him not to do. He told about the suffering. He told about three years in solitary confinement. He he would take off his shirt and show the scars of the torture wounds and— You know, so he he told the story and not only his own story, but he said, hey, there are still pastors in those prisons. There are still pastors behind the Iron Curtain that are suffering and Christians hear that. And I think our natural response is, "Okay, well, how do we help those people? That's really how the Voice of the Martyrs was founded is to be the answer to that question. How do we help Christians who are being persecuted for their faith? How do we encourage them? How do we stand with them? How do we help their families when they're in prison? That's what motivated the founding of The Voice of the Martyrs in 1967, and that's still what motivates us to come to work every day now, is to say, hey, how can we help persecuted Christians? How can we tell their stories to Christians in free nations to encourage them and to build that fellowship within the body of Christ?
0: We're going to get to that exact question, how do we help, coming up in just a couple of minutes. But before we get to that, I think it might be good for people to kind of get an understanding of where persecuted Christians are. I mean, I think most of us look at China, maybe, or Pakistan, maybe, or Iran, and immediately go, yeah, there's probably persecuted Christians there. But I'm guessing, Todd, that there are way more countries where persecution is happening than two or three.
1: Yeah, uh, unfortunately, you're right. Uh, We list more than 70 countries on our annual prayer map, countries where Christians are persecuted. And Uh, In some cases, we we call them restricted nations. It's the place where the government's doing the persecution. China is a great example of that. The, The government is the persecutor. The other thing we talk about on the prayer map are what we call hostile areas where, you know, maybe the government says it's okay to be a Christian or they say we'll protect religious freedom. Uh, but within that country, there are radical groups. Maybe it is like Boko Haram in Nigeria. Uh, maybe it's uh, some radical group in the Philippines that is persecuting Christians. And so more than 70 countries where Christians are persecuted. And uh, you mentioned some of the big ones. We think of China. Uh, China right now is the worst it's been since the Cultural Revolution. It is, it is getting worse, not better Uh, I think of North Korea, I I often use the description, North Korea is a prison camp uh, disguised as a country. Everybody there is persecuted, but Christians are singled out for the very worst treatment by the Kim regime. Uh, You mentioned Iran, certainly Iran, the the fastest growing church in the world, that's the good news, but the government is doing everything they can to stop the church from growing, and that includes arresting Christians, putting them in prison, uh, beating them, harassing them, uh, there are some, though, that that people wouldn't think of immediately. And, and one that comes to my mind because I've had the privilege of being there is Eritrea. Uh, Eritrea is a, a country in Africa where literally hundreds of our brothers and sisters are currently in prison. And of all those hundreds of people in prison, not a single one has ach- actually even been charged with a crime. Not a single one has had a trial. Uh, they just get arrested and they go into the prison system. And it's weeks or months or years before they come out. Some of the pastors that I met have now been in prison almost 18 years in Eritrea. Uh, and most of us wouldn't say that, wouldn't identify that country. Some of us would have trouble finding it on a map. Nigeria, also a place of heavy, particularly the northern part of the country. Uh, one of the things we're looking at, actually, we're just sending out a special report about northern Mozambique again, a country most of us wouldn't say is a, is a persecutor of Christians, but there is an, an ISIS affiliate group in the northern part of Mozambique literally going village to village. They are looking for Christians. They're especially looking for pastors. And so more than 70 countries where Christians are persecuted right now. You, you
0: mentioned a number of these things, but I just want to pause for a moment so people understand kind of how you all define persecution. I think, obviously, we think of someone being martyred, killed for their faith, would would certainly be up there. You've mentioned prison. What other kinds of things would you put into that category?
1: You know, there's kind of a, a long spectrum of things that, that are persecution. If you're giving up something, if you're suffering because you're a follower of Christ, you are being persecuted. Now, what you're giving up may be relatively small. Maybe it is you can't get a job. Maybe it is you have to move from house to house to house because as soon as your landlord finds out you're a Christian, he says, well, wait a minute, I don't want to rent to Christians. You need to go find a different place to live. Uh, maybe it is harassment. Maybe it's your children can't go to school. So that would be on the low end. Um, and, and, you know, it's easy for us to say that's on the low end. Um When you're going through it, it it doesn't feel like the low end. But then, as you say, Christians are giving their lives. They're laying down their lives for the cause of Christ. Um, You know, oftentimes one of the things that's interesting, particularly in an Islamic context, I think about Afghanistan. Oftentimes the persecutor is your own family. It's your dad. It's your big brother who says we are a Muslim family if you're not going to be a muslim you're not part of this family anymore and sometimes they say you can't live anymore we're not going to allow you to be alive if you're not going to be a muslim and so that would be on the extreme heavy end of the scale but but there is a lot a lot of range within what what constitutes persecution
0: let's talk for a moment about these people and they're all over the world. And I know that you have had the privilege and honor to actually talk to and meet with some of the individuals, some of the family members. Why don't you just take a few minutes and share two or three stories of some of these folks that and what they're going through, what you've seen and experienced with your own eyes?
1: Well, one of my favorite stories is a lady that we met in China. And uh, it was a blessing because my wife happened to be with me on this trip. and, And we met Sister Tong uh, just a few weeks after she had been released from prison. Uh, the government was raiding house church services. They were trying to keep house churches from happening. She got arrested. She spent six months in prison and we were there just a few weeks after she had been released. And so we had the chance to meet up with her and sit down with her. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to come back to America. I'm going to try to tell Sister Tong's story. So, you know, if you're going to tell a story, you need the setting. So, so let's get the setting. Sister Tong tell me about the prison. And what I'm thinking in my mind is, you know, tell me how cold it was, tell me how hard the bed was, tell me how big the rats were, how miserable the food was. Let's, let's paint a picture of how terrible it is in a Chinese prison. And my translator translates the question and Sister Tong gets what I can only call a heavenly smile on her face. And she says something in Chinese and my translator says, oh yes, that was a wonderful time. And I I looked at the translator because I thought there's no way that he asked that he understood my question. Now, are you sure? Because I, I asked her about the prison. Are you sure that's what? You, yeah. Yes, yes, I understood. And yes, she understood the question. And and I said, OK, you know, you got to explain yourself. How could you say that six months in a Chinese prison was a wonderful time? And she said, Jesus was so close to me while I was in prison. He he was he was so close, such a personal Jesus that I experienced during that six months in prison. And she said, you know what else? There were some ladies in my cell with me. And when I got there, they didn't know Jesus. And I got to be the one who introduced them. And and they're following Jesus now because I was there in the cell with them. And so her attitude was Jesus was with me in in a really amazing personal way. And Jesus gave me a ministry to do. So why wouldn't that be a wonderful time? I was pretty new in my VOM time at that time. And I, I honestly, that just blew my mind. Uh, I, I could not, I don't think I had a theology that could say six months in a Chinese prison was wonderful. And so I really kind of almost wrestled with that. Like, like, how do you, how do you get to that point? How do you get there to say it was wonderful to be in prison because Jesus was with me and he gave me a ministry to do. But I think that's a challenge for all believers everywhere. If six months in a Chinese prison could be a wonderful time because Jesus is there and he gives us a ministry, could cancer be a wonderful time? Could unemployment be a wonderful time? What is there in my life? What is there in in your life that could be wonderful if we would sort of borrow Sister Tong's glasses and look at it through her eyes to say, is Jesus there? Yes, he's there. Is he going to give me a ministry to do? Certainly he will allow us. Okay. Then that's a wonderful time. So sister Tong is one who marked me just in a, in a short conversation, she really marked me with, with just saying six months in a Chinese prison. Yeah, that was wonderful. One more that comes to mind is Iman and Iman is an Iranian brother and uh, he, he started out telling me a story by telling me how competitive he was. Like, like I, I want you to understand I'm a competitive person. I said, yeah, OK. I, he said, no, 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 I really want you to. I'm really competitive. Uh, he said, you know, when he was in the Iranian military during the Iran-Iraq war, he told his commanding officer, you send me to the place where the fighting is the fiercest. Uh, if I can't be martyred in the next 24 hours for my country, I don't even want to bother with it. He said when he was a thief, he wanted to steal things that other thieves had tried to steal and failed or got caught. He wanted to just show, look, I'm the best. I'm a better thief than all these other thieves. I stole this thing. He said when I was a drug addict, I wanted to use more drugs than anyone else was using. And I wanted to use every drug that you could possibly use. I wanted to be the best drug addict that there ever was. And so I I said, okay, now you're a really competitive person. Okay, I understand. (laughs) And uh, Iman was addicted. He was miserable. His life was in shambles. Uh, And he cried out to the Lord one night, God, save me. Save me from my addiction. This is the end for me. I'm done. God, save me. He cried out to God. God, save me. When he cried out to God, he didn't really have this experience like he thought he would. And he kind of was like, are you real, God? What If you're real, I expected a little more than this. I expected something here. So he went back into his room, and he was flipping through the channels. He heard them say, when I gave my heart to Jesus, and the person finished the sentence, he saved me. When I gave my heart to Jesus, he saved me. Iman, just a couple hours before, had been on the roof of his house praying, God save me. And now he heard, when I gave my heart to Jesus, he saved me. And uh, Iman said in that moment, he knew knew the truth. He knew that he needed Jesus in order to be saved. And he said, I closed my eyes and, and began to pray. And he said, I could feel Jesus in the room with me. I knew if I opened my eyes that I would see him there with me. But he said, I was so unworthy that I didn't want to open my eyes. I didn't feel worthy to look face to face with Jesus. And so he prayed with his eyes closed, but he said his entire life was changed. In fact, after being an addict for years, he never had the the draw of drugs again after that moment. Jesus just completely rescued him from addiction. Now he was like, okay, I'm going to be the best disciple. I'm going to be the best disciple that Jesus has ever had. And so he has led – at the time I met him, he had been walking with Christ for four years, and he had led over a 1,000 Iranians to faith in Christ. One of the great stories he shared with me, he said he he got arrested because, you know, if you're doing this in Iran, at some point you're going to get arrested. He was put in solitary confinement for 21 days, and then he was put in kind of the general population of the prison. And he was in a cell with about 100 other people. He was in that cell for nine days, and he led 24 people to Christ.
0: Powerful stories, and it's something that uh, you deal with every day and have the opportunity to see and experience and share with others. Uh, In the few moments we have left, Todd, how do we help? How do we, once we've heard these stories and we know that Christians are being persecuted, what should we do? What can we do, and how do we do it?
1: I like to encourage people to take a three-step process in answer to that question, the step number one is pray. And that's not me asking. That's the first thing persecuted Christians ask us to do is to pray for them. Every single time we ask, how can we help? What can we do? The first thing they say is pray for us. And so step number one is pray. Step number two is educate yourself so that you can pray more effectively, because it's easy to say, God bless persecuted Christians, uh, but it's also easy not to say that when it becomes more personal, God bless Pastor Wang Yi, who is serving nine years in prison in China, then I think it's, it's more powerful. It's more specific. So number one, pray. Number two, educate yourself so you can pray more effectively. And Voice of the Martyrs has lots of tools to help you educate yourself, whether it's uh, the free magazine that we send out. We have an app for your phone that will pull up a new prayer request every day. Uh, whether it's Voice of the Martyrs Radio, which I have the privilege of hosting, listen to that. We we often talk about how can we pray. Um, So number one, pray. Number two, educate yourself to pray more effectively. And then number three is whatever God lays on your heart to do, be obedient to that. Because as you're praying and as you're learning more, I believe God will say, okay, here's, I want you to do this. And and maybe it's, you know, write letters to Christians who are in prison for their faith. Uh, Maybe it is Sponsor the delivery of Bibles into hostile and restricted nations. Maybe it's get on an airplane and go to one of these places. But as you're praying, as you're learning more, then I think God's going to lay his thumb on something and say, okay, now I want you to do this. And then it's up to us to be obedient to what God is calling us to do. You know, one of the things you can pray for right now is travel. COVID in the last two years has made international travel even more of an adventure than it already was. Uh, and so especially pray for our International Ministries team as they are traveling and working through the, the complications of that. And we always wanna pray for great contacts on the ground in hostile and restricted nations. The, the, the people that help us hear the stories, that help us deliver the aid, deliver the encouragement. Uh, we, we always need more great people to help do that work.
0: I hope you'll add these things to your prayer list. It's simple, but profound and impactful. And my thanks to Todd for joining me today. I want to direct you to Voice of the Martyr's free magazine that will give you monthly updates on the persecuted church, along with Todd's book about the persecuted church, When Faith is Forbidden. We'll link you to both of these in our podcast notes. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Next week, we're going to talk to a man who helps churches discover their heart for missions and how to fully engage in those missions. If you've enjoyed today's show, I'd love it if you'd subscribe, share it, rate it, leave a review on iTunes. If you have any feedback for me or want to share with me what God's doing in your world, I'd love for you to write C. Lambert at missionstoday.com. And follow us on our Instagram and Facebook, Missions Today Radio, a production of Resource Global.